So it's really good to see everybody. I want to thank you all for being a part of our, our Tuesday uh, Chatham Transitional Bible Study. Um, we are in the study of the life of Christ. We are studying a harmony of the Gospels, which means we're taking the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and trying to put them all together chronologically and accurately so that we can understand the life that Jesus lived while he was here on the earth uh, in, in the body. And uh, so today um, we're going to talk about uh, doubt in the believer, doubt in the believer. So if I have to, if I had titled this lesson, as you can see in the handout that I handed to you, it says the doubting believer, the doubting believer. So what does it mean to have doubt? What does that mean, guys? Second guess. You, you second guess, right? You're not sure. What else? What does it mean to doubt? To wonder if. Yeah, to wonder. Uh, to have unbelief, right? Mm-hmm. One of the things that doubting is is unbelief, and we live in a world That's where, exactly right? Where it is. right? And, and and a lot of times we live in a world today where it's hard to believe everything you see. Is it not? You can't believe the news. You you can't believe the the newspaper. You can't believe uh, your neighbors. You can't you you look in the mirror and you can't believe yourself sometimes, right? And so doubt is a serious thing that we all have to deal with. I want to start by sharing. Uh, a quote that I found, uh, I run across this week. I want to share this with you. It says, the, the doubting believer, all believers, all believers have the experience that in the best moments of their life, they are also most firm in their belief in Scripture. The believer's confidence in Christ increases along with their confidence in Scripture. And conversely, ignorance of the Scripture is automatically and proportionally ignorance of Christ. Okay, It says it remains the duty of every person, therefore, first of all, to put aside his or her hostility against the word of God and to take every thought captive to obey Christ. Scripture itself everywhere presses this demand. Only the pure of heart will see God. Rebirth will see the kingdom of God. Self-denial is the condition for being a disciple of Jesus. The wisdom of the world is folly to God. Over against all human beings, Scripture occupies a position so high that instead of subjecting itself to their criticism, it judges them in all their thoughts and their desires. This has been the attitude of the church towards Scripture down through the centuries, and the Christian dogmatician uh, may take no other position for a dogma, that is a belief, uh, is not based on the result of any historical critical research, but only on the witness of God, on the self-testimony of Holy Scripture. A Christian believes not because everything in life reveals the love of God, but rather despite everything that raises doubt. All believers know from experience that this is true. There is not a single Christian who has not in his or her own way learned to know the antithesis between the wisdom of the world and the foolishness of God. It is one in the same battle and ever continuing battle which is to be waged by all Christian learned or unlearned to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Here on the earth no one ever rises above that battle. Throughout the whole domain of faith there remains crosses or cruces that have to become overcome. There is no faith without struggle. Guys, I want you all to see that. That's very important. Look what it says. There is no faith without struggle. To believe is to struggle. To struggle against the appearance of things. As long as people still believe in anything, their belief is challenged from all directions. No modern believer is spared from this either. There are intellectual problems in Scripture that cannot be ignored, and that will probably never be resolved. But these difficulties, which Scripture itself presents against its own inspiration, are in large part not recent discoveries of our century. They have been known at all times. Nevertheless, Jesus and the apostles, Athanasius and Augustine, Thomas and Bonaventure, Luther and Calvin, and all the Christians of the church have down the centuries confessed and recognized Scripture as the Word of God. Those who want to delay belief in Scripture till all the other objections have been cleared up and see all the contradictions have been resolved will never arrive at faith. For who hopes for what he sees? Jesus calls, blessed are those who have seen and uh, who have not seen and yet believe. 
Okay, so let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer and then we'll talk about what we've read there. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for everyone here and their willingness to come and learn about you. And Father, I will be the first to admit before them and you that I struggle in my belief. I struggle in faith. It is hard for me, God, sometimes with through my emotions and my experiences and my circumstances to see you at work in my life. It's hard sometimes for me to believe that you are who you say you are. And I just pray that you will help all of us to recognize that it is not our circumstances and it's not our feelings and it's not our emotions that give us faith. It is you. It is your Holy Spirit and your word alone that helps us to believe. So help us today to listen to your words and Holy Spirit be with us to open our eyes and our ears and our hearts and our minds and our lives to your truth. Help us to receive that truth, help us to believe that truth, and give us the strength and willingness to walk in that truth. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, so what? What basically what he was saying there was that all believers struggle with doubt and unbelief. Even believers struggle with doubt and unbelief, you see? And, and so what we have to understand is our salvation, our hope, uh, the power that we have in Christ does not come from our feelings. It does not come from our dreams. It does not come from our experiences or our circumstances. It does not come from anything in creation, but the Creator Himself is the one that gives us faith. And how does He give us faith? He has given us His Word. He has given us His Word. What does it mean in modern language when somebody gives you their word? What are they giving you? The promise. That's right. You shake hands and you give somebody your word that you will fulfill your obligation or you'll do what you say you'll do, right? And the reality is that every one of us in this room have broken promise in our life. You've probably broken one today if you're anything like me, right? We, we break our promises. We make promises to others. We make promises to God. We make promises to ourselves, And yet we always break those promises. Why? Because we're broken people and we break promises. But when God makes a promise, he always keeps it. And the Word of God, what you have before you right now, that Bible that you have before you right now, is everything that God wants you to know. That Bible him. reveals those promises that Jesus and God have made to us. No doubt. So and, for us to learn them, we have to read it. Yep, that's exactly right. And and so from Genesis to Revelation, in those words is everything God wants you to know about yourself, everything God wants you to know about Him, and everything God wants you to know about His your neighbors, the people around you. And by learning and studying that word and believing that word and clinging to that word. We have his promise and we can understand ourselves, we can understand him, and we can understand our neighbors. So it, we have to be in his word. The Bible says salvation comes by faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God, you see. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at a passage of scripture where one of the greatest men in the Christian faith to ever live is going to have some doubts in his life. His name is John the Baptist, right? Jesus said at the time of John the Baptist that none greater have ever walked the earth than John the Baptist. You, you know, he was like, he was a prophet and he didn't hold back. And, and yet, even John the Baptist, one of the greatest of Jesus' disciples to ever live, had doubt in his life. And we're going to see that today. So turn with me, if you will, to the book of Matthew. And we're going to look I can't at. Think of one spot where John was doubtful. I, I, All right. I want to see that. Good. So Matthew chapter eleven. We're going to look at Matthew chapter eleven, verses one uh, through uh, nineteen. Uh, Matthew chapter eleven, verses one through nineteen, and we're also going to look at Luke chapter seven, verses eighteen to thirty-five. Again, we're harmonizing the gospels, which means we're going to take. Uh, Matthew's account of this and Luke's account of this and put them together so that we can better understand what's going on. So look with me in Matthew chapter 11. When Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in the cities. Now, when John, while imprisoned, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and he said to him, are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? Jesus answered and said to him, to them, 
Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. As these men were going away, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John and said, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, and I tell you, and one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, <clears throat> among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the last days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. For all the prophets in the law have prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come. He who has ears, let him hear. But, to, okay, so we'll stop there with that passage. Now let's go over and uh, and look uh, in the Luke passage, Luke uh, chapter 7, and we'll look at verses 18 to 35. So you want to keep your mark in Matthew because that's probably the text that we'll use for for going through our in our lesson today, but we do want to look at another account of the same thing in Luke chapter seven, and we're going to look at Luke chapter seven, verses eighteen to thirty-five. So it said, the disciples of John reported to him about all these things. Summoning two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord, saying, "Are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else?" When the men came to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, who, are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? At that very time, he cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits, and he gave sight to many who were blind. And he answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you have seen and heard, that the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. When the messengers of John had left, he began to speak to the crowd about John and said, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who are splendidly clothed and live in luxury are found in royal palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, and I say to you, the one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare a way for you. And it says, I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And it says, when all the people and tax collectors heard this, they acknowledged God's justice, having been baptized with the baptism of John. So, I have a question. Yes. So they're talking about John the Baptist being the messenger to clear the way for Jesus. And this is a different John. Nope. John, John the Baptist. The, the John that's in prison is John the Baptist. Yes. That's very much true. Yep. Yeah. So let's go back to the Matthew passage now. And we'll kind of walk through the passage together line by line and kind of figure out what's going on here. All right. The first thing that we see is Jesus had finished giving instruction to his 12 disciples. Now, what is it? What we've learned this in the past. I just want to make sure everybody knows that. What is the root word of a disciple? Right? What is discipline. discipline? That's exactly right. And so Jesus is instructing or disciplining his cycle. Now I'm going to go off on a little rabbit trail here because Lori's here, but I want to. I'm going to. I want to ask one more question. John, the Gospel of John. That John was not John the Baptist. That's John the right, Beloved. He's the one that went to Patmos. On the island? Yes, he's the one who wrote the book of Revelation. Right. Two different Johns. There's John the Baptist, 
and John the Beloved. Here, okay, okay. John the Beloved. That's exactly right. John the Beloved wrote the book of John. He wrote the letters of 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And he wrote the book of Revelation. He's John the Beloved. He was the youngest of the disciples. Okay. okay. All right. And he actually lived the longest of all. He, he lived on, up until like 90 AD or when, when the book of Revelation was written. Okay. So. So he lived, one of, he lived the longest? Yeah, of all of the disciples, yeah. I thought Moses lived the longest. No, 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 no. no. The disci- of the 12 disciples of Jesus in the oh. New Testament, yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of people that lived a long time in the Old Testament. So, um, so this first word that we see here is discipline. And what you'll learn is just that faith uh, is a discipline, right? You have to be taught how to have faith. You have to hear the Word of God. You have to believe the Word of God. And then you have to use discipline for your faith to increase. What do I mean? To be able to live the Word of God, we need right. discipline. Huh? To be able to live... The way God wants us to, we need discipline. That's exactly right. And so Jesus is giving instruction to his 12 disciples. He's disciplining his disciples. He's discipling them. I, I just want to bring this side note up. This week it was funny. I, I go to um, a church and we um, we take communion every week at our church, uh, at every Sunday morning worship service. And so I had some of my family. I have a brother and I have a sister uh, who have been coming and visiting our church. And so my sister and her husband uh, came to the church this week with my little nephew, and my brother was there. And so at the end of the service, we do communion. And the <clears throat> the pastor of the church does something known as fencing the table. What that means is he's going to warn you that if you are not a believer, you should not come forward and take communion, mm-hmm. right? Or if you are a believer who is living in open and unrepentant sin, you should not come forward and take. In other words, if you're out running the streets and drinking and partying in the clubs on the weekend and you're coming to church on Sunday morning and you have no desire within you to change that, there's no desire within you to change, then don't come forward and and take. Because what the Bible says is you would be drinking a curse upon yourself by doing that. You're basically spitting on the blood. You're treading underfoot the blood of Christ when you do that. So uh, my uh, sister and my brother, uh, well, my brother had been coming for a few weeks. And the first two weeks he came, he didn't take communion. Well, I didn't ask him anything about it. I just assumed there was something going on in his life that he didn't feel like he should go take communion. But come to find out, one of the statements that the, the pastor makes in fencing the table is this. Um, all believers are welcome to the table, but if you are from another church and under the discipline of another church, then you don't need to come forward and take. Now, uh, this week, my sister and my brother-in-law didn't get up and take communion. They're both believers, but they didn't come forward and take communion. So after the service was over, now their nephew, he, he was sitting with me, so he went up and told me, he's a believer, he's been baptized, he's a professing believer. And he went forward and I told him, I leaned over and said, now before we go take, you need to pray to Jesus and ask him to forgive you for the sins you've committed this week. Like you need to think about what you've done wrong this week. And so my little nephew bowed his head during the prayer time and, and prayed. So we went forward. Well, after the service was over, I asked my sister, I said, why didn't y'all come forward and take communion? And she said, well, because we're under the discipline of another church. Well, the problem with that is what it means to be under the discipline of another church. It means that the elders or the deacons in that church, the the elders in that church, have you under a disciplinary measure. See, the Bible teaches that there's a proper way to hold people accountable in church. It's called church discipline. And so what that means is if Don and Lori are both members of IPC and Don goes around and slanders Lori's name, He, he says some gossip about Lori. Lori hears about it. Well, what's going to happen? She's going to be angry at Don for what he's mm-hmm. what he's gone spreading around, you see. So in proper church discipline, the thing to do is for Lori to go personally by herself to go to Don and to confront him about what he said and ask him to apologize and forget and 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 say, you apologize, I'll forgive you. You shouldn't have said that, all right? Now, if Don apologizes and repents and realizes he's done wrong and says, Lord, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that, what is Lori supposed to do? Forgive. Forgive him. And then it should be over. Now, if Lori goes to Don with the slander and Don says, um, I didn't say that, right? Well, there's nothing Lori can do. So she, Well, if the next week more slander comes out from Don, 
then what Lori is supposed to do then is she's supposed to take one of the deacons or somebody in the church and two of them are to go to him and confront him about what he's doing. If he repents, what is she to do? Forgive him and let it go. If he still refuses and still denies that he's doing it, then the next time, then what they do is they call Don before the whole church congregation and they say, this is what's going on. You're slandering Lori's name. She's a fellow believer. She's a member of this church. She, you're slandering her name in this church, and it's got to stop. You need to repent. If Don repents before the whole congregation and admits he's wrong, then what is the church to do? Forgive him, and it's over. Does this stuff really happen? It, it's yeah. supposed to. It's supposed yeah. to. That's why I'm bringing this up. Now watch. If he does not... Repent. If he refuses to change, then the elders of that church will disfellowship him. Excommunicate. They, they excommunicate him. And in other words, you are not allowed to come to church. You are not allowed to partake. Well, you, you can actually come to church, but you're not allowed to partake of communion. You're not allowed to partake of any of the, the benefits of being a member of the church family until what? Until you repent and admit you're wrong. And, and as soon as he comes forward and repents and admits he's wrong... What is he supposed to do? What does the church do? Forgive. forgive him and let it go. Then he's back in fellowship with the church and everything's supposed to be okay. Now think about it. If we practice church discipline like we were supposed to, then there wouldn't be all of these little silly little things festering in the corners of the, the church. You see? He's your brother in Christ. He's going to be living with you forever in heaven. You need to get along here on the earth. Just get it straight while it's there. Well, that's actually what church discipline is about. But the reason I bring that up is because my brother, who a couple weeks ago heard him say, if you're under church discipline, did not come forward and take communion because he thought he was under the discipline of the church he's a member of. And my sister and my... They misunderstood it. They misunderstood it. They heard it under the discipleship, you see, or under the teaching of another church. So when, it, when they say discipline of the other church, that they've done something wrong and they've not yet right. admitted it. Right. So what would happen is, okay. what he's bringing up is this. If Don got excommunicated from IPC and started going over to Ferguson Avenue and taking communion with them while he was disfellowshipped from there, that's what the pastor is defending from, from him just jumping, not dealing with the sin in his life. Him from that's his act, and, and to, to keep him from bailing on his obligations to his brothers and sisters in Christ. All right, now, first of all, Don is not slandering anybody that I know of, so don't blame Don for anything. He was just an <laughs> illustration in the story, okay? So do you understand what church discipline is really supposed to be about? And just like you said, does that really happen? Well, the reality is in our modern evangelical churches, it doesn't happen at all. That's good. No, it's not good. Because it's according to the scripture. It's what's supposed to be done. That's what keeps them. I'm talking about no problems is good. No, 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 no. No No problems would definitely be good. But what happens is, is so what you'll have is, you'll have somebody in the church that's running around on his wife. And half the church church knows about it. And what do they do? They They just bite the side of their cheek and don't deal with it. Now, why do they not confront it? Because if you confront him, then what's he going to do? He's going to throw you under the bus for what you've been doing. You see? And so what happens is you have all this... Yeah, you have all of this stuff festering under yeah, undercover. Yeah, cancer inside the church. That's exactly right. And so Jesus gives us... But the this, other folks aren't even looking at all this stuff going on. It makes it easier for them to go sin because everybody else is doing it. That's exactly right. So the right. church really needs so, to talk about So, anyhow, I told y'all we were going to get on a rabbit trail there. I just think it's very neat because my brother and my sister are from a generation younger than I am. And they did not they did not hear. Now, I went and asked... So we were at dinner I that... I would have thought something different had you not heard. So we were sitting at the dinner table Sunday after church, and we asked my mom. I said, Mom, if the pastor tells you that um, if you're under the discipline of another church not to take communion, what is he talking about? My mom said, well, if you're in trouble with your deacon or your church, then you're not supposed to take communion. She heard it. Why? Because she's from a different generation, you see. And we were taught that actually practices church discipline. But we've gotten into a day today where we don't confront sin in the church, and it's wrong. So anyhow, let's get back. That was just a little rabbit hole. I did want to explain that to you guys because um, we live in a world today where when you correct somebody for the way that they're living, even if you do it in love, they are not going to receive it properly. They're going to be angry at you and tell you to mind your own business. And don't judge me, right? Right. right? 
And uh, I just I made a statement this week on social media. I said, if I lovingly come to you and I correct you for something that you're doing, if you're willfully suppressing the truth and living the wrong way, and I come to you and lovingly tell you you're doing wrong, I'm not judging you. That's God's job. But what I am doing is trying to help you to avoid judgment or I'm also, the Bible teaches me that if I see somebody that I know living in open rebellion and I don't go and confront them, then I'm going to answer to God for not saying anything to them. So we are brothers. Yep. So once, but once I go to you and I confront you with what you're doing, lovingly now, I'm not talking about going and beating somebody over the head with a Bible and showing them how much more holy you are than they are, right? We're all sinners. We're all under the blood of Christ and it's only through His blood that we're forgiven and righteous. But if I lovingly come to you and say, hey man, you know, you've been, you've been really flirting hard with that secretary at work and you're a married dude, man. You ought not to be doing that. Right, I, and I'm saying that in love, not because I'm like in the secretary, and you, you see what I mean. That that, that would have uh, uh, other uh, implications to it. an ulterior motive. If I just simply want to see you and your wife and and, and have a, a loving relationship, then I, I'm just coming to you in love, and I'm not judging you. But if you continue in that, God will judge you, won't He? Well, once you go and confront somebody with what they're doing, if they do not listen to you, their blood is on their own hand. You, you see how that works? You're free from it because what have you done? You've lovingly warned them. You've lovingly warned them that they're doing the wrong thing. And the standard that you're using is not what you think or what you feel, but the Word of God, His truth. All right, so let's go back to the... We, we really got into a hole there, but I knew we were going to. But look, it said Jesus gave instructions to His disciples, and He departed from there to teach and preach in their city. So what is Jesus all about? discipling his disciples and teaching and preaching why is he teaching and preaching because salvation comes by hearing hearing the what word of god so he's going around and he's proclaiming the kingdom of god to all of these people all right it says in verse 2 when john while imprisoned heard of the work of christ he sent word by his disciples and said are you the expected one or shall we look for someone else all right. Are we back in Matthew or still? Yes, there? Matthew 11, verse 2 and 3. Now, John is in prison. Does anybody remember why John is in prison? Anybody remember? Okay. Well, there was a, a mayor or a governor, I guess you would call him, uh, named Herod. And Herod had a uh, wife. But the problem with his wife was his wife was also his sister-in-law. You see, he stole his brother's wife and married her. He went and started having an affair with his brother's wife and took her in and married her. And now she is his uh, wife. Okay? Who did that? The, uh, this, this guy that threw John the Baptist into jail. And so <clears throat> John the Baptist uh, was called before Herod. And he basically told Herod, now imagine he's talking to the governor of the state, and he said, yo, man, uh, that's not right, you having that, that girl there, that woman there as your wife. That's not right. You stole your brother's wife, and that's adultery, and, like, it's wrong. Well, he threw him into prison. <laughs> he threw him into prison for calling him out on what he was doing wrong. Yeah, I, if y'all have never read that story, it's really neat because... Um, Herod's his wife hates John the Baptist. Yes. And she actually gets his head cut off. And put on a stick. Because what happens is is that his her daughter her daughter comes in and dances before a, a party that that the king is having there, the, the governor's having there. And it impresses all of the men in the room so much that he he brags and boasts and says, oh, ask me for anything you want up to half of this kingdom and I'll give it to you. Like, like and so in front of all the crowd, he's telling his, which, which is weird because he's telling this, his, it's his stepdaughter and his niece, right, at the same time, which is crooked in itself. But he said, and so what she does is she goes to her mom and she says, hey, he's telling me I can have anything in the kingdom. What should I ask for? And she said, go tell her you want John the Baptist's head on a tray, on a platter. And so she goes back to the king and says, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. And so they go and they take John the Baptist and they cut his head off and put it on a platter and bring it wow. in into the girl. All right. Now, so why is John in prison? John is in prison for speaking truth. John is in prison for speaking truth. And now, 
what we are programmed to think is if I speak the truth and I'm a good boy or a good girl, then the world is going to, then God is going to bless me and my life is going to go really, he really. God bless you because now John is in heaven. Yep. Yeah. With, with Christ. Yep. Yeah, that's true. And we have to remember, like I've been trying to tell my mom because she's been so sorrowful and so blue and having to move. We have to remember to look beyond because our life in heaven is still ahead of us. So regretting all this stuff and the people that are gone here on earth and all the stuff in our past, it's, we, just, we have a brand new life to look forward to still yep. with the people so, we love waiting there. Yep. So yep. people can't get over the fact that it's not here physical. That's, that's very right. true. And, and, that's, remembering that. and that's one of the keys of our lesson today. Remember, if your focus is on your circumstances or your feelings or your emotions or your past, or anything in this creation. If your focus is on anything in this creation, it's going to cost you the focus of the Creator. Your eyes are not going to be on God and His promises. Your eyes are going to be on a fallen world and all of its unsurety and uncertainty, you see? So what are we to do? We're to fix our eyes on Christ right. instead of on the world. And it's just like you said, uh, you can't see the good things because of all the bad that's right there in your face. And that's what's going on with John. So look what John's, he's in prison. And so he sent some disciples and said, are you the expected one or should we look for somebody else? See, John the Baptist was expecting a Messiah just like the rest of the nation of Israel was expecting. And what were they expecting that Messiah to do? To come in and beat up all the bad guys and take away all the Roman taxes and set them up. But even in his mother's womb, he jumped. Yep. Joy. Yeah. And, and so uh, the, Messiah, the, the expectation of the Messiah that he was going to come down and put down all of Israel's enemies and set the Jewish people up as the rulers of the world and they were going to all live happily ever after. They forgot how the Old Testament worked. It took a long time to get them just out of Egypt. Yeah. And, and so they're looking for this great conquering king to come in and take over and set them up as princes and rulers with him and to live happily ever after. Yeah, and what's happening? Jesus is coming and, and dealing with poor folks and sinners and wicked people. He's not really confronting the, the government officials or anybody. Like He's just kind of going along and preaching the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is utterly different than the kingdom of this world. So they were looking for a Messiah that was going to come in and be a king of the fallen world around them when in reality he was coming to proclaim an entirely new kingdom that was going to be a kingdom full of spirit and, and truth. that's the one we look right. forward to. Right, that's the one we look forward to. And so what's happened? Their eyes, their, their focus was on the wrong things. And why did they miss Jesus? Because he wasn't coming and giving them all the promises they wanted. There's going to be there's going to be a debate on the television tonight between Trump and, and Biden, right? Both of those guys are going to give you so many promises in that speech that they can't fulfill both of them. But why? Because they're politicians, and they know that people are going to vote for the one that's going to give them what they want, not what they need, what they want. And so they're going to say whatever it takes to have you continue to chase after your wants. You see? Like dangling a carrot in front of a donkey. That's exactly right. And so they are politicians. They know how to say what needs to be said. They know it, right? And and so uh, John is doubting. Now, we're going to see in just a minute, Jesus said he's one of the greatest prophets to ever live. And yet he has doubt. Well, why does he have doubt? Because he's locked up in prison. He's like, wait a minute, man. I've been proclaiming the kingdom and called out uh, Herod on, on his wickedness. I, I've, I've done everything that God's told me to do, and here I am locked up. Now, can you understand why John would have doubts? Because Yes. Yep. Right. You and better we've believe all been there. Yep. I mean, maybe not as bad as John. You come home from work. Come home. We've been working a 12-hour day. Barely got enough to pay the bills. You walk in the house and... There's water all over your oh, stovetop because thing. the roof's poor leaking. <laughs> now you got to pay two thousand dollars to get a roof, right. a new roof. All the money you, you know? work so hard for is gone. Right? You go out and you you work all all week long. You work and you work and you work and you come home and your your air conditioner's tore up. It's gonna cost you seven hundred dollars to get a new air conditioner. Twenty eight hundred. Yeah. <laughs> you see? And and you you get all your bills almost caught up. You you finally are able to kind of kind of 
feeling a little happy about yourself this week, you get in and put the key to the car, crank it up, and the check engine light comes on. You know, it's always something. It's at those moments, though, because that's been happening to me a lot with Mama's house next door. There's always something wrong that I got to fix, or and it's more money, more <laughs> money. But you have to stop when those things happen. You have to stop and look around you and look what God has blessed you with a roof over your head. Yeah, it might need to be fixed, but you got one. Yeah. Or there's food in the fridge, or you can lay down tonight in a dry bed. And those are are gifts. Especially when you've been out there on the street. We have so much even more than that. Yep. And so you start focusing on those kind of things and you go, wait a minute. Yeah, we have to change our focus yep. right away. When yep. those I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian and, and God's supposed to be blessing me. Like I'm supposed to be living a fruitful and, and productive life here. And it's supposed to be good. And I'm supposed to enjoy things. Well, life is not a joy. Not in this life. Those of us that have the greatest purpose have it the hardest. Well, they do. But but think about it. This life is... One of the main things that God is doing through your experiences in this life is trying to get you to focus on the life to come. Right. And so what happens? The older you get, the harder it gets to wake up in the morning and go to work. Guys, it don't get easier as yeah, we get older. The easier it is to look for that life beyond. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. So, so what is God doing? Through all of the struggles and through all of the toils and the labors and the pains of this life, God is teaching us to stop depending on this world and stop depending on our fallen and busted nature and stop depending on our feelings and our emotions yeah, and, and our finances and all of those things for our peace in life. Not our circumstances, right? He's, he's And all the different stuff we've been through, we can learn how to trust God even more because He's brought us through this, through this, yep. through this. Yep. And so you look around and you see all these cro- There's a way you see coming. you see all these crooked folks and it looks like they're really prospering. Like right? Man, that dude he he ain't doing this and he's not doing that and he's man, he's got a nice car and he ain't got no problems in his life. But guys, Everybody has problems in this life. It don't matter what their outward appearance is. That's one of the terrible things about social media. Is everybody only puts the good stuff out there, right? Only focus on what they can see and what they, they're they yeah. see. But they only put... So all you see from other people is the good stuff. You don't see their son just got thrown into jail for, you know, DUI. You don't see that their husband's been cheating on them. You don't see that, uh, you know, that they're, that they're getting notices from the, the credit people that... They're fixing to come, you know, repossess the car and things. You don't see all those kind of things because why? Because we try to act like they're not there. We try to act like it's not there. And and why? Because we're looking for the things of this world to bring us our happiness, our peace, our meaning, and our purpose. And that's never what they were there for. And so John is questioning these things. And so he says, are you the expected one? Are you the Messiah? And remember, just like Lori said a minute ago, John the Baptist, and when Jesus was only six months old, was it? Was it he no, said, they were both pregnant. Yeah, Elizabeth, and, yeah, six months in the womb is what I yes, mean. Yes. And 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 Elizabeth, Mary come walking in the little house. John the Baptist started dancing around inside his mama's stomach because the his his he purpose and his reason, close. Jesus was there in the room with him. Like so, he, he spiritually, spiritually, he should know all of this. Right. He should know it all. Remember, not only that, he baptized Jesus, and what did he see? He saw the Spirit of God come and descend upon him when he come I out of the water. Was this after he yes. baptized? Yeah, him? of course. Yeah, and and so you, and he he saw the Spirit of God come out, and he heard the Father's voice in heaven saying, "This is my Son, in whom I'm well pleased." So, if anybody in the world had a reason to not doubt, it was John. It was John, and yet what is he doing? He's doubting. Are you really the one? You see. That's important for us to see. He was down and out in prison, and so yep. he was down. Wait a minute. This is not supposed to be the way it's supposed to work out. Are you sure you're the one? Now look how Jesus responds to him. This is important. Look how he responds. Jesus answered and said, Go to him. Go and report to him what you see. All right. <clears throat> he says, The blind receive sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Alright? What is Jesus doing here? What is so important here? Well, let's turn back to the book of Isaiah. Let's go. It's in the Old Testament. Um, it's about halfway in the middle of your Bible, maybe a little to the right of halfway. It's what he, Isaiah is the first major prophet. 
So Isaiah 61. All right, everybody there? Isaiah 61. It says, the Spirit of the Lord. Y'all knows that word Spirit is capitalized, so that means what? Holy Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Now think about Jesus' baptism. What did He do when He came out in the water? The Spirit of the Lord came upon Him. Right? So right there in that baptismal pool, you had the Son, God the Son. You had God the Holy Spirit and God the Father's voice from heaven saying what? This is my son who I am well pleased. And Jesus is not a ventriloquist. He wasn't casting his voice back up into heaven. The son is God. The spirit is God. The father is God. And all three were present there at his baptism. Jesus, the son, was there. When he came out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended upon him. And the father's voice in heaven said, This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. All right? The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. What's another word for good news? Anybody remember? The gospel, gospel, right? The gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The gospel. The good news. So what has God anointed him to do? To bring the gospel. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives, freedom to prisoners, and to proclaim the favorable year of our Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. All right. He says it. So what is, what is the Messiah coming to do? The Messiah is coming to to heal up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, uh, freedom to prisoners. And so this was a promise from the prophet Isaiah that when the Messiah comes, these are the things that he will do. Okay, a promise. Now, if y'all remember a couple weeks ago when we were talking about Judgment Day, let's go ahead and turn back to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 and look at verses 17 through 21. Luke chapter 4, verses 17 to 21. Everybody there? Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke chapter 4, verses 17 to 21. So Jesus, actually we'll look at verse 16 too. So Jesus came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up as was his custom. He entered into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood to read. What do y'all think he's going to read, guys? The Word. The scroll. The, the, the Word of God, right? The promises of God. And he opened the book of the prophet Isaiah that was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives to recover the sight of the blind, and to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the favorable year of our Lord. So these are the things that the Messiah was promised to do when he came. In the book of Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus was ever born, Isaiah was saying, hey everybody, when the Messiah comes, this is what he's going to do. Okay, so it was a promise from God to the people of Israel that when their Messiah comes, this is what he's going to do. And Jesus is reading it. And look what it says in verse 20. He closed the book, gave it back to the attendants, and sat down. And all of the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began saying to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's amazing to think of it. He stood in front of that. I am the fulfillment of this prophecy. Now, just a quick note, and then we'll wrap up the lesson today. When Jesus read that, in the book of Isaiah, there's the prophecy of Isaiah. It also says that um, to proclaim the favorable year of our Lord and a day of vengeance of our God. Okay, so what does that mean? That means that God's going to get pay the evil people back for what they've done. But when Jesus came the first time, when He came to the earth as Messiah, the first time in the flesh, and read that, He stopped before He said to to. Uh, uh, the vengeance of God. Why? Because the first time he came, he came to save. When he comes next time, at his second advent, he's coming back as the judge to seek vengeance on all evil, you see? So he, he, he stopped. He stopped short. Why? Because... Does Isaiah talk about the second coming? 
Yeah. 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 That is, that's Isaiah talking about the second coming. Verse 2, 61 2, to proclaim the favorable year of our Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. The second coming is when he comes to judge the world, right? Where is that exactly? Isaiah 61, oh, I'm in, okay. verse 2. Okay. To, so, if you look at it, it says to proclaim the favorable year of our Lord and the day of vengeance for our God. When Jesus quoted that passage, he didn't bring up the vengeance part. Because at that time, when he came the first time, it was to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, the next time, when he comes back the next time on Judgment Day, it's going to be for vengeance of God. The vengeance of God, you see? So, so all right, so let's look at Matthew again, and then we'll wind down here, guys, because we're, we're running a little on time. So, John the Baptist is locked up in prison. His life is not going anything like he thought it was supposed to. And now he's asking Jesus, what in the world? Are you really the one that we were to be expecting? And what did Jesus say? Tell him that the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. The good news is being preached to poor people. Being fulfilled. Right. So what is he telling John? Oh yeah, I am the one and all of the promises that I promised to you. So he's letting him know the book that Isaiah told you is happening now, so yes, I am the one. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because he, John was Jewish, right? That's exactly right. Now watch. John, John is focusing on his circumstances and what he's going through instead of the promises of God. You see how that works? Instead of looking forward. Now, when Jesus says the blind receive their sight, what does that mean in a spiritual sense? Our eyes are open to the gospel. Good. That's exactly right. Remember what uh, Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Remember what he told him? Right, we don't understand anything in that book. Right. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Yes. Jesus said that he had come to restore the sight of the blind. And he also said, when he said that, that he wasn't talking about the physically blind either. Well, it, it's a, you're right. right. But, but it's actually both. Because he definitely blind Bartimaeus, and he physically does have the power yeah, to make course. new eyes in a man's head. But he created well, man. That verse there that you're referring to right now is well the eyes of the blind. Yes, yes, and he. So what he did was he's saying all of these physical realities are taking place. Blind people are actually receiving their sight. Lame people are walking. Lepers are cleansed. Their skin is healed up. Deaf are hearing. The dead are raised. The poor people have the gospel preached to them. See, and the attitude back in that day was if you was poor, you was cursed by God. That's why you didn't have any money, and that's why you didn't have any blessings in life, because you were under a curse. They would look at the rich people around them and think what? Oh, these people are really blessed by God because he's truly prospered them. But what is the Messiah's promise? That he would come and preach the gospel to the poor. Why? Because those are the ones who will receive it. The rich people have got too much money to be worried about any other promises. they got the only promise they ever desired, which is physical and material things. So, what is he, what is he comforting John with? He's saying, the prophecies of who I am are being fulfilled before your very eyes. Blind people, and so when we read through the Gospels, do we see stories of blind people actually receiving sight? Yeah. Oh, yeah. People. Yeah. What about lame people walking? Yeah. Remember the paralyzed guy? They lowered down into the room. Take up your bed and walk. Y'all remember that story? All right. What about lepers? Their skin cleansed. Yep. We've seen that. What about deaf people hearing? Yep. Seen that. What about dead people being raised up? Yep, we read about that. What about uh, poor people having the gospel preached now? Yep, we have that. Because who are the people that actually receive Jesus when he comes? It's usually the poor folks, mm-hmm. right? Now, Zacchaeus was kind of rich, but he was poor in spirit, wasn't he? And so, not only is there a physical reality to the Messiah's blessing, but there's a spiritual reality. So we've already talked about sight. What does it mean? That God takes the scales off of our eyes so that we can see the beauty of him, of his promises. We can see the truth of who he is. Um, what about the, what would be the spiritual reality of the lame walking? What would that mean? How can you 
walk unless you are walking in the day or walking in the light. Right. There's a verse in there that refers right. to that. So what is the so you what would the God what would the spiritual ramifications of a lame person be? Someone who can't walk what? Physically. Well, that would be the physical implication. What would be the spiritual? Oh, the, the spiritual would be one that can't that can't follow God. Good, that's exactly right. He can't walk in God's path. He's lame. He can't do it. So what does God? Do yeah, right. right. So what does God do? Just like uh, Lieutenant Dan, you get new legs, right? You got new legs, Lieutenant Dan, magic legs, right? You, you get new legs. God gives you the ability to walk the right way. So He gives you the ability to see the truth. He gives you the ability to walk in the truth. He gives you the ability to carry out what you're supposed to carry out. Yeah. His name. Yeah. What about lepers being cleansed? What does it mean? What What was leprosy? Filthy external. Yeah, good. All right, so an external blight on nastiness. your on your nastiness on you. And what does God do? He comes in and washes you clean, doesn't he? Yeah. Alright? So he cleans the inside of and the outside. What about the deaf hearing? Right? Salvation comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. And what that means is is for you and I to be able to hear the word of God, God literally has to come in and unstop our ears. Right? And what about uh, the poor having the gospel preached to them? Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? For theirs is the kingdom of God. So what what does it mean? He shows us our uh, depravity. He shows us our uh, poorness of spirit without him. And then he makes us rich, you see? So uh, verse 6 there says, And blessed is the one... Who does not take offense at me? Now we'll finish up next week a little more talking about John the Baptist more. But again, what was the title of our lesson? A doubting believer or the doubting believer. Now why am I focusing on that? Because every one of us in this room, if you truly are a believer, if you truly are a born again, blood bought child of God, you will struggle with doubt in this life. You will. What is the answer for that doubt? To trust God. To trust God and His Word, His promises. And I can promise you this. The more you grow in your understanding of His Word, the more you fill your heart and your mind with His truth, the less room there will be in your heart and mind for doubt and unbelief and the devil's lies. You see? You fill your life with God's truth and then the things of this world... What does the Bible say? What does the old hymn say? The things of this world will... Go strangely dim in the light of His glorious face. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of this world will go strangely dim in the light of His love and His grace. And so we have to focus on Him and not ourselves. We have to focus on Him and not our circumstances. Our focus should be on the Creator and His promises instead of this world around us and its curses. You see how that works? So, uh, make sure you're in your Bible. Remember what the, the, the paragraph we read earlier? Uh, faith is a struggle. It's, we have to struggle in it. We have to use discipline. We have to be in the Word. We have to pray. We have to hold others accountable and allow, and allow others... To hold us accountable, right? Are you praying? Are you studying your Bible? There's nothing in the world wrong with me going and asking a brother or sister in Christ that, hey, Lori, how's your prayer life this week? You doing okay? Right? Good. Okay. And so there's nothing in the world wrong with us encouraging one another and pointing one another to Christ and who He is. Amen? All right. Father, thank You for this time. Thank You for this day. Help us in our unbelief. Help us to know Your truth, to receive Your truth, and believe Your truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.